Now all and pull up. Have a drink, I want to take a sup. And now, live from space, the 200% podcast with Football 365 Zion King and some bloke. Open wide for some soccer! Hello pod fans, and welcome to 200% podcast number 311. 311. Attendance 311. Yep. This is part two of a series in which the number of the podcast (laughs) that we're on, I just look up a non-league football match for my own entertainment. Or a league football match, you never know. Or a league football match, yep. Could be either. And this match comes from the 5th of October 2015. It was from the National League North. Almost said South then. Would have gone down well, wouldn't it? And it was Lancaster City 0, Leamington 1. Attendance 311. Yeah, well, there you go. You heard that one here first. So there you are. That's all I've got. Tune in next week to find out a non-league match for which the attendance was 312. As promised, this podcast has been keeping its eye on the encroaching boldness of any uh, managers in the public eye. Well, one specifically. And one thing that we've noticed this week is that Nuno has started to look very bold indeed. Well, I think I've been fairly consistent in my position. You know, I like him. And uh, he is a a nice man. He's on the side of the angels. He's got kind eyes. He's got kind eyes. He's got a nice beard. Yeah, he's got a lovely beard. We've all touched on... There is is the point that that, that Spurs seem to be getting to where he might have to give the beard back. He might have to Um, forego the beard. Yeah, because it's not working, is it? Not on the evidence of... That's the thing. Well, I've never seen anything like it. Tottenham Hotspur asked, I'll put it this way, and I I said this to somebody on Twitter uh, yesterday. So it must be right. Yeah, so it must be right. I said that I reckon that I played a mixture of Sunday League and Intermediate League and County League and Church League and Works Leagues for about 14, 15 years, something like that. Plus those five years in the Premier League with Blackburn Rovers. Oh yeah, plus plus my five years in the Premier League. (laughs) <laughs> the missing years. The missing years. Um, 
but in that entire time, playing at this fairly wide spectrum that went from well, all right footballers to really quite shockingly bad footballers. <laughs> I never saw a defence as static as Tottenham's was for, I think it was the second Arsenal goal. <laughs> I went back and watched it about three times. And there were, it, it was really difficult to make out every time because of the angles they were using. Either six or seven Spurs defenders in the Arsenal penalty area at that moment. And between them, they covered, in the time that it took from Bukayo Saka to cross the ball into the middle, a couple of seconds, if that, to the ball being in the back of the net, they moved between them. Like I say, six or seven people, approximately a yard and a half. And that's for all six? Either four or five of them were completely static, didn't move. Well, One moved about half a yard and one moved about one yard. Work smart, not hard, as they say. It, it, it takes a lot to make my mouth fall agape. <laughs> but I, but I, I'm pretty sure that that first half was the worst first half of football I've ever seen from a Tottenham Hotspur team. And it might be the worst 45 minutes I've ever seen from a professional football team. Well. It might be. Because it was glowingly incompetent and nobody emerges from it with any credit whatsoever. Well, no, particularly not Nuno, who sort of sat there looking sad. But I think clueless. I think that's that's more of, more of a worry, I think. It's all right to look sad, but looking clueless is not really uh, a positive sign at this stage. I'm not one to this sort of behaviour normally, but I'm I'm uneasy about going <laughs> going in hard on him because I think that he has been. If you know, if you're not up to the job, you're not up to the job, and that's kind of not your fault. The responsibility lies with the person who thought you were. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because they hired you, you know. If if you put a learner driver in a Formula One car, are you going to expect them to break any lap records? And well, I know that not. that's an extreme example because it's unfair to say that he doesn't know anything about football. He did very well with Wolves. He got them to seventh in the Premier League. And he got a bit unlucky last season when they obviously they sold... Um, Jota and uh, Jimenez got that really awful injury that he's only just come back from. Very true. Maybe he'd just gone as far as he could with Wolves and that was that. And he's got a reputation for being a a door and defensive coach, but, you know, that's the way some coaches are and it works for Wolves. The point there being that it worked for them better than it's working for Spurs now, you know? Well, if defence is his bag, then uh, clearly none of the, his his lessons are rubbing off. I mean, I think I think the thing is that these guys are earning six figure sums a week, and you know I'm not one of these people who goes on about oh well you know footballers earn hundred and fifty thousand pound a week. They should try doing it on what a nurse earns or a soldier. Or a pensioner 
Yeah. You know, I'm not one of those people. But I do have to grip my teeth to prepare for the fact that, you know, a foot professional footballer is earning in one week five times the average national salary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and the least I expect in return for that is that they fucking try. You're not even looking for competence. No, no. Just industry. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that Arsenal played very well. Yeah. The process is now working. <laughs> one, it's, it's a, Football is a series of one games, isn't it? And now that that result is in the bag, um, Arteta is being hailed as the successor to Wenger and the process is a masterpiece and the young lads are the way forward and so on and so on. Well, I, I wrote about this um, on the, um, the, the, the evening of the match. And uh, and and I and I said that you know this presumably is what the process is supposed to look like. Yeah. I didn't go so far in the article as I'm going to go now. Oh. But might it be easy to make it look like the process if you're effectively playing a training game? <laughs> yeah. Because it's very, very possible. Spurs were so inept. Their tactical formation, which seemed to be trying to copy the tactics of rugby union, yeah, five five forwards and five back, yeah, was it was all just so strange to watch this enormous great big gap in the middle of the pitch that Arsenal's midfielders could just flood into. Yeah, but how much how much responsibility do you think that the players need to take? Because it, it, there is point. At which you do wonder when there's a team with no midfield, why it is that people from the defence aren't going. Hmm, we seem to have no midfield and just pushing up. Well, or, exactly. You know, the attackers going. Hmm, we seem to have no midfield here. Exactly. I mean, they're, pro- they're professional footballers. They should. They shouldn't need to be coached that. Yeah, exactly. And that is on them. And that's what makes me wonder: Are they just doing this to push him out? Because at the end of the day, it's a more rational explanation than the manager said play without a midfield, so we're going to play without a midfield. I understand that players take orders from the manager, but if it's working as badly as it was against Arsenal, the players also have a responsibility to work around that, you know? It's like nobody objects to whistle blowing, do they? But if their if their solution is that childish, though, it's like, well, let's lose a load of games to get him sacked. Why don't they just hold their breath if if they're going to be like that? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is that um, it's a kind of it's 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 a thing now, you know, and and yeah. and and I do kind of understand it, but I also reserve the right to be critical of the fact that they're ripping off the fans. You know, Spurs supporters, you know, I can only speak for every single one that I've seen on social media, are fucking appalled. Almost, It's almost felt like it's been in a state of shock (laughs) since late Sunday afternoon because we kind of knew it was bad, you know. 
Because yeah. this isn't just a one-off. This comes on the back of two straight 3-0 defeats. One of them at home. And yeah. the Crystal Palace game, they were diabolical. They weren't much better than they were against Arsenal. No, they were terrible in that game, really. Mm. Uh... But the thing is, they were getting worse from there, you know. Yeah. And the players do owe a bit more to the supporters than that. Because you don't get to give it all this, oh, the fans are so important bullshit for the media when you've got to do a soundbite for the TV and then just not turn up for what you know fully well is one of the two biggest matches of the season. Yeah. And at a basic fundamental level, I think the players owe the fucking supporters an apology. I really do. Because because they know all of this. Now, we're going to come back to apologies in a minute. Yeah. Very true, yeah. They're very in vogue. They don't owe me jack shit. I don't, you know, I don't pay anything. Really, no. you know, I bought, what do I, I pay for Sky and BT Sport. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I pay towards Premier League football. I don't go to matches. I'm not a match-going fan. It's not me they should be apologising to here. But those couple of thousand away supporters who went to that game, I mean, holy fucking shit, how must they have felt by the end of that? <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen it all with Tottenham, you know. Yeah. But that that performance is as bad as I can remember. There's no way of sugarcoating it, you know. And the thing is, this is like where I come back to on Arsenal with this, is that I think that reports of Arsenal's sudden revival could be overstated. And I'm not saying this with my Tottenham hat on. I'm saying this from... Spurs should have had a penalty in stoppage time. That was a clear foul on the, right on the edge of the Arsenal penalty area. And I'm pretty sure it was inside as well. That would have made the score 3-2. Yeah. And that would, because it was in stoppage time, almost certainly have made the final score 3-2. And I tell yeah. you what, if you're playing a team as terrible as Tottenham were on Sunday and only beating them 3-1 and it's almost 3-2 then maybe the performance wasn't quite as magical as is being claimed like I say you know I'm not saying that trying to minimise that because I support Spurs I'm saying that because I think it's a fair assessment I have a counter to it as well which is that they really took their foot off the pedal in the second half which seems, yeah. which is a bit of a strange thing to do in a local derby, because if your opponents are that bad, wouldn't you want to just grind their faces into the dust? Yeah, that's possible. I still remember going to Underhill in 1986, I think it was, FA Cup fourth qualifying round, Barnet against Enfield. Now you speak to the people who were at that game, and that's one. <laughs> that's that's one they'll remember for the rest of their lives, um, because Barnet may have ended up in the you know the football league, and they may have kind of weirdly ended up quite a few people's second team for a while. But we'll always have Barnet nil, Enfield seven, <laughs> the FA Cup fourth qualifying round in nineteen eighty six. That must have been very satisfying for you all. Highly, highly satisfying, you know. So, I, I, I kind of don't get why you would take your foot off the pedal in a game like that. Unless oh, no. a couple of their players weren't quite fit. 
which then reflects even worse on Spurs because they've well, been they've been bringing players back and I'm also minded to think that the results of the first three games and the performances contained therein haven't gone anywhere and neither were they especially impressive in beating Norwich or Burnley so you know, I wouldn't be popping any champagne corks yet if I was an Arsenal supporter over the rest of this season. But they are fully entitled to do so over um, this result. You know, there's, yeah. I don't think that anybody can do anything other than hold their hands up and say, well beaten by a considerably better team. Yeah. I was trying to get into the mindset of Daniel Levy which is something that usually requires a whole packet of uh, disposable razors. Mm. Trying to understand why it was that he sacked Pochettino anyway in the first place. Yeah. And to that end, I watched the first episode of the Amazon Prime documentary All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur, which more or less starts around that time when uh, Pochettino is sacked and Mourinho is appointed incidentally within hours rather than the aching cavern of months that went past before they appointed Nuno. That decision was already made. But it seems to me that, the, you know, Levy's justification was that we're now, you know, we've, we've been in the European Cup final, we've got this new stadium we're bigger than ever. We need to maintain this and build on it. But I think that was also Pochettino's yeah. position. And Pochettino said, I need to rebuild this team because, you know, we can't compete like we are. Now, history, I think, has probably proved Pochettino entirely correct. Well, it, it has done. Um, and, and, and the benefit of hindsight makes that look ridiculous. Because yeah. Mourinho is now at Roma and Pochettino is coaching probably in terms of players the best football team on the planet at the moment. Yeah, I mean, what he's he's got underneath his, uh, his foot there is essentially like the coach of Real Madrid in the 1950s had, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's FIFA on the easiest settings is what it is. And uh, I I don't necessarily know that that's him. (laughs) You know, I guess, you know, you take the job because it's a fucking massive job and they're going to pay you a shit ton of money. But he always struck me as being the kind of, you know, bringing through young players, uh, rolling up your sleeves and getting down the training ground type. So, you know, it's not as unrealistic as it should be to think that Pochettino could be back at Tottenham by this time next year. Yeah. Because there was talk of it during the summer and when it ended, it didn't end as a result of him. And there is absolutely no wavering, I don't think, in the love for him that Spurs supporters have got. He is the most popular Spurs manager of my lifetime by a fucking mile. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. Um, you know, as the second only to Bill Nick. It's not inconceivable because I think the affection was mutual. He was 
sacks rather than quit, uh, which I think in terms of coming back kind of changes the dynamic of it slightly. That's, I think, what Spurs supporters would do, would like. I think the, the optimum outcome from all of this would be Pochettino back and then given the money and importantly the time to rip it out and start again. And that doesn't yeah. mean get rid of all the players, you know. I mean, Harry Kane hasn't suddenly become shit. He was the Premier League... <laughs> was he the Premier League's top scorer last season? He was, yeah. yeah. You know, that doesn't just disappear in the space of a few months. So fucking get him going again. Get him playing again. You know, yeah. it's not like you don't have to get rid of the whole team. There's probably a few spare parts. I'm not going to go into details over who I think they are. Um, there's probably been some signed in haste, because there always are. And stop being fucking spursy. Stop living down to people's expectations of you. I think that the thing that I really learned from re-watching that episode is that Daniel Levy is really bald. He is bald. He is a bald, bald man. I maintain he might be balder than Pep. I don't think he's balder than Pep because I think it's impossible to be balder than Pep. But it does explain why the whole Harry Kane transfer saga over the summer had something of the two bald men fighting over a comb about it. Well, yeah, uh, you've been building up to that joke, haven't you? Well, I'm just saying. (laughs) But what I'm saying is... Very good. That Daniel Levy... He is a bald man. Very bald. He is a bald man. Very bald. I'll credit where it's... Credit where it's due. I pointed out to you this afternoon that I searched Twitter for Daniel Levy is bald. Very true. And uh, one of the tweets that came up and quite close to the top of the list as well was from uh, from Sam White, from our guest from a couple of weeks ago, pointing this out in March 2020. Friend of the podcast. By her records. There you go. She's selling a bunch of soul records. Each one guaranteed to have as many follicles as Pep and Daniel Levy put together. Exactly. Not a one. Not one single follicle between the two of them. Well, you know, it's it does seem to be a bit of a symbol of something at the moment. Although, actually, I'm being really unfair there because Manchester City were fucking excellent on against Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, the encroaching baldness of Nuno, it needn't needn't hold him back, but he does seem like a man who uh, has found the, his wrong birth. Every every team has their own ambition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I say, uh, expectation. I'm, I'm not a knee-jerky type. You know, I do believe in giving managers time. I was quite happy with, say, Ryan Mason. I, I, I was horrified by the appointment of Tim Sherwood but once he was in I was like okay let's just do this but let's not just lose our shit after three games yeah and you know that worked out the way it worked out but this is so glaringly blindingly obvious to me he was the uh, manager of the month for August you know yeah, well, you know, what do they do? They give it to the bloke who's won three games. Well, I was reading on I was reading on uh, Football 365, or Football 365, as I like to call it, 
that the quickest turnaround from uh, being Premier League Manager of the Month to getting sacked yeah. is 33 days. 33 days. So he's still got a chance. He's still in the game, but it would have to happen. It would have to happen by about the start of next week, wouldn't it? I don't know who they're playing this weekend, but if they get absolutely humped this weekend, then he could be gone by Monday morning. Spurs are at home to Aston Villa on Sunday. Wow. wow. That's that's Aston Villa who won at Old Trafford last week. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm watching a lot of football this season. I'm watching a lot more than I ever have in my life. And Aston Villa are good. Yeah. Aston well, Villa are very good. Emi Buendia, the guy they've got from Norwich, is just a chef's kiss of a player. And you can see that as well in how bad Norwich have been. He created something like, I think it was a quarter of their assists last season. Yeah. It's just like, that's fucking insane. One player, a quarter of their assists. And they sold him to Aston Villa because he wanted to go to the bigger club, which is Fairfax. And it kind of looked all right always round. But actually, now you see him at the bigger club with the slightly better players, it's it's like, oh, he's worth a lot more than that twenty five million they paid for him, isn't he? Well, I'm sure <laughs> and then that... suddenly starts to look like they've got an absolute bargain. So he's terrific. I like John McGinn. He's always yeah. good. He's always good value for money. I like a nice. I, I'm always surprised at the fact that there are like there are even now there are people in their twenties called John. Well, that is good. Don't but you of find course... that weird? It's, yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit weird because a lot of other people in their twenties have very exotic names, which are also uh, exciting, such as Marvelous Nakamba. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean that's, but I mean that's just the part of Africa that he's from, isn't it? I think like, he's from Zimbabwe. Like, this is Zimbabwe. I was going to say, so sort of, you know, the south of Africa. But yeah, that's very popular. There was that president yeah. of um, Nigeria, was it? No, I forget what he's saying. Was it Good Luck Jonathan? Good Luck Jonathan, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I can't that, remember if all... he was Nigeria or if he was maybe Liberia. I mean, if yeah. it was Liberia, he didn't get a lot of good luck. And, I, and I, it's a blessing, isn't it? That's the thing. You know, it is. Marvellous. If, like, if I give them that name, then maybe they'll be marvellous. That's a really nice sentiment for a parent to have. Well, he plays for the villa. Yeah, because marvellous is a great word. It's a really good, round, all-encompassing word. You can say marvellous to mean kind of one of any one of like seven or eight different things, and it all works equally. It is one of my favourite words, and because all the letters in it are kind of round, it even looks like a smile. You should meet his brother. Incompetence Nakamba. Incompetence Nakamba. <laughs> Play, <laughs> well, plays for Spurs. Yeah, he plays for, plays for Spurs with a metal bucket wedged on his head. Now, the Villa were uh, major participants in another one of the key issues of, of the week, which was the 
fulsome and florid apology given by Bruno Fernandes for having the temerity to miss a penalty against, well, anyone. Yeah, well, look, right, OK. Now, when I said that the Spurs players owed an apology <laughs> over... Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear that there's a tangible reason why somebody would say that, yeah? Yeah, well, it's figuratively mm, that's speaking, is You it, could agree it? with me on... You can not agree yeah, with me. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. A reason, it's reasonable to not agree with me. But you can at least say that there is a tangible reason why I would say that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's figurative speaking, because no one's actually expecting the entire Spurs first-team squad to come out. And what are they going to do? Go around people's houses? However, Bruno Fernandes have, has found the way around it. Yeah, I have no idea what they're fucking thinking of. Um, <laughs> to See, to anybody who is remotely level-headed, we don't give a fuck. Yeah, they'll get over Do you know it. the only people who are going to care about this? Uh, is it angry Twitter mouth breathers? Exactly. Oh. All it's doing is feeding into this weirdo sense of entitlement that all these fans seem to have. Well, it's good to know that we're appeasing them, at least. I'm not. While all the rest of us, you know, try and run our cars on crisp and dry. I just find it absolutely staggering that, like, that, that that he would do that. And it's not the first time. This is like a fashion. You know? Yeah, there's this weird Jonestown-esque apology culture emerging in football. And, it, and yeah. any wider sport as well. Yeah, it's like um, Sergio Aguero did it at the end of last season after he penenkered it up the bum hole against Chelsea. And then there was this little... Like kind of torrent of them after the penalty shootout at the end of Euro 2020, and then Jesse Lingard did one after his back pass against um, uh, against young boys, <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, the Lingard one, I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, it's a bad pass, you know. What, what, what are you supposed to think? Just don't do it again. Yeah, you know, you're a professional. Pick yourself up and get on with it. I've read an interesting take from. Genev, Gary, Fraser right. Neville, uh, yeah. who was talking about the ridiculousness of the Bruno Fernandez apology, mm. and the fact that you've got these media um, and sort of personal assistant types at football clubs now who are creating. A facade, essentially. They're creating yes. personalities for footballers that don't exist. Oh, yeah. Because they're the yeah. ones who are writing all of the tweets and so forth for them. Bruno Fernandes isn't sitting there trying to find the right font for a two-page Instagram post of sort of uh, prostrated contrition. Well, no, this idea that Marcus Rashford is sitting around at Carrington between <laughs> training sessions, uh, tapping out his support for NHS workers or whatever. It's, it's just, it's, 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 of course it isn't. And that's fine. Because the bottom line is that he is rich enough to be able to pay somebody to do that shit for him. But he's also happy for that person to speak for him. Because if they didn't, he'd sack them and replace them with somebody else. Yeah. It really is that straightforward. 
he sat down with that person. They've probably had a very lengthy conversation about his values. Again, I would say that while it is almost certainly done by a PR company, I doubt that anything goes through without his express well, exactly. consent. Well, exactly. It's a tale as old as time, isn't it? I mean, for years, since I've been around, since longer than that, you will have... Oh, here's our weekly column written by Malcolm McDonald or Ian Rush or Gary Lineker. Yeah. Here's the thing. They're not sitting there like Dean Thanks. Saunders running down the wing, yeah. tongue sticking uh, out of their mouth. Yeah. yeah, tapping away at a typewriter. Yeah, that's not happened. They, 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 <laughs> yeah, they've got a tame journalist who smells of fags and regret. Yeah. And they talk to them on the phone and then they get back to laying in bed with their beautiful wife. With a pile of money. Yeah, and nowadays it's the same thing, only like a hundred times as sophisticated. They literally have a person who will sit down and, and he will say, okay, look, these are the things that I want to put across on my social media. Uh, show me how you would do it. And if they do it to their satisfaction, he'll hire them and then they will do it to his satisfaction. He will be happy to put his name to it. And this works both ways. Bruno Fernandez's tweet. <laughs> wasn't written by him and I would also be very surprised very surprised if anything that he said about football didn't have to be okayed by Man United as well oh yeah well and again that's fine they're his employers yeah that's they pay true. him a metric fuck ton of money you know they're not asking to I don't think they'd ask to him to tweet anything he didn't believe in. I'm sure there'd be like a conscience clause or something over something that he found beyond the pale. But again, it's taken as good faith by the public that these people might not necessarily be sitting at their phone tip-tapping away. <laughs> but if it's in their name and it's verified as them, we can assume that it is them. Yeah. It's not a complicated fucking idea to get your head around. No, it's you know not. I mean? It really isn't, is it? I don't know where this thing ends in sport. This total accountability to... Uh, it's it's crazy. It's madness. It is cultish and weird, and it needs to stop immediately. Oh, God, yeah. Totally. Because it's becoming... Yeah. Just to be clear, I'm not apologising to anybody on this podcast. No. I will do for work. Different for work. Well, yeah. Maybe that's the angle. You know, maybe this is like... Because the thing is, the, 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 the apologies that I was prepared to let go were the Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and uh, Bukayo Saka ones. Because they were... It, it's different with England. England are, by definition, a representative team. And fair enough, of course they get all their players from the Premier League. Uh, but they could theoretically pick you or me. And by God, I'm ready. Yeah, I'll get well, you know. Kind of. First player to get booked for smoking a roll up <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> for England. Peter's sausage roll down my sock. Yeah. But, you know, it's they are representative. It is different. They are doing it on behalf of everyone. And um, it's different with a club too. It just is. And so, 
I have a certain degree, a tiny degree of sympathy. Maybe he was told to do it and he was like, well, it's my job too, and went along with it. So I'm not just going to sit here and say, oh, Bruno Fernandes is a milk toast or whatever. Um, But the action, whoever was behind it, whoever's idea it was, whoever wanted to say it was lame. There you go. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I don't think I can say fairer than that. Before we get on to listener questions, and we've got some yep. uh, a bumper crop of some very fine questions this week, just a bit of housekeeping. We've got three Jamie Vardy facts, because Jamie oh, Vardy okay. has hit three more Premier League goals since we last podded, and is the joint top scorer in the Premier League. So obviously whatever it is that we're doing is working out for him. Okay, could we get this bit over then? Yeah, all right. Um, how about... <laughs> because... <laughs> Because if I was a listener to this podcast, this is the bit where I would go and make a cup of tea and then forget to put it on when I came back. Well, we'll be missing out all the listener questions, you see. This is the genius putting it here. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Vardy is able to open a tin of ye old oak ham just by looking at it. Okay. Jamie Vardy opened a playground for the daft kids underneath his chin. And... Jamie Vardy's big toenail is a broad bean. Right. There we go. Okay. There we well go. Done. Jamie well Vardy. done, Jamie Vardy. Three more Premier League goals to your credit. Yes, well done, you. Listener questions. Yes, well, you have one. I have what got one. The, 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 this is a question from House Mouse Collectibles via Twitter. They uh, sell antique desks in the Suffolk area, so as such, are a lot like Lovejoy, which is an incredible lifestyle choice. Now, I do, I do love an antique desk. Yeah, well, as you fully well know, you fully well know. I love, you know, I, I do love anything like that. Yeah, well, Just you saying. know, it's a sign. It's a sign of class and sophistication, isn't it? They ask, "What is the most depressing football match that you've actually attended?" The most depressing football match I ever... Their answer would be Orient away to Sheffield Wednesday in the fourth round of the FA Cup in the 1980s. Wednesday had a good side with Hodge in goal, Verardi up front and Mel Sterling was in the side too. Orient were a not particularly good fourth division side and lost 5-0, I think. We were 1-0 down in under two minutes. We were torn to shreds. It was fucking freezing. Only had enough money to get in and no money for food and was famished by half-time. I was about 15. Wednesday had a very irritating DJ called Stevie Splash. And at at the final whistle, he played You Got Me Singing the Blues. Lovely. So, I mean, that's a a good starting point for a bloody miserable day Okay. um, You got anything? The most miserable, depressing game of football I ever went to was... Sometime around about 2002, 2001, 2002, 2003 sort of time. And this game, it was uh, St Albans City against Crawley Town in the FA Trophy. I think it was one of the qualifying rounds. And um, 
Well, for those who haven't visited the very palatial Clarence Park, home of St Albans City, it's a very open ground. They've got a bit of covered terrace along one side. Covers probably about half the pitch, something like that. Um, and I believe they may have finally got round to putting in some sort of cover behind the goals now, but they didn't have it then. And then there's like a long wooden uh, main stand, which is something like 100 years old now. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 100 years old this year. And I think it's a listed building. It's beautiful. And they can't knock it down. Uh, but it is a very yeah. open ground. So when it rains, everybody stands under this covered terrace. And some people will pay the extra 50p or whatever it is and go and sit in the stand. But most people will go and stand under the covered terrace. Which means that the ground is just this this one bunch of people. And it, you don't stay dry. Because of course you don't. It's not how it works no. in the rain, is it? No, water finds its way in. Yeah, the raindrops stop falling on your head. I have to say, I mean, it, you might probably be able to hear it. Uh, the, in the, la- the last five minutes, there's been an absolute biblical deluge here. So if you're, if you're hearing any roaring water, then that's, that's it. That's me too. Could be the end for us. God's wrath. Anyway, so there you are. You're in Clarence Park. Um, yeah, and it was absolutely bucketing down with rain. Yeah, well, I know all about that. And I went with Jonesy, who may or may not be a friend of this podcast. You know him. <laughs> um, That's good enough. Yeah. As, if as, as long as we both know yeah, him, they're friend, never a friend, friend of the, of the podcast. podcast. I, was with, I was with him, and... It was emptying down the rain. The game kicked off and it had been a few minutes or whatever. And we were like, I can't be bothered with this. Shall we sack it off? So we went up the bar and we spent the afternoon in the bar getting drunk instead. And um, while we were up there, um, there was a woman who worked behind the bar called Vicky, Vicky Baxter. And uh, she, <laughs> she was like, do you want a free drink then? And I was like, yeah, I'll have a free drink. And she was like, right, okay, you can, uh, what do you want? I said, um, uh, I don't know, gin? Gin and tonic? She said, well, no, but you can have gin. And I was like, so you're going to give me just a shot of gin, but it's neat. And she was like, no, yep. no ice. And I was like, all right, wow. fair enough. <laughs> so I take, you take, take it where you can get <laughs> it. Well, exactly, it. yeah. But it was a fucking stinker. And the thing is that, the first five minutes we saw him, we were like, fuck this. Final score, nil-nil. Absolutely predictable. People came in at half-time looking Ugh. like they'd arrived fresh from um, fresh from the English Channel. Yeah, and we were, just, we were sitting... Yeah, glittering shine. Yeah, and we were have. sitting there getting drunk and dry. <laughs> See, it doesn't sound like such a miserable experience for you. It sounds like a miserable experience for everybody it was else. A, it was a depressing, miserable, it, just the uh, the whole afternoon. Because, you know, you like going to the football. When you get to the football and realise immediately that this is you so want, fucking yeah. awful. This is going to be so awful. You don't want to watch the football. You don't even want to watch it. <laughs> You've already yeah. paid to get in. That is, yeah, that is also true. So, you know. My most depressing football experience involved um booze as well and no small amount of hubris 
It was the 1st of March 2008. And we, that is to say Ian and, and me, not all of us. Okay. We, we were going to go to watch Brighton and Hove Albion play Leighton Orient at the Withdean Stadium. We were, yes. You were working that morning, yeah. as you used to on Saturday morning sometimes. I was drinking. Yes. And getting myself into a little pent-up ball of excitement. A little bit of a tiz at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Yeah. And I think it may also have involved gin. Yeah. Could gin be the answer? No. Um, no. What then happened, of course, is at the With Dean, where there's nowhere else to get any sort of refreshments that doesn't have, like, eyes or lungs in it. I just sort of, on a reasonably warm early spring day just sat there as the sun beat down yeah with no cover over her head just g- getting a hand yeah the dt's the dt <laughs> started to kick in and Leighton orient were a goal up and bossing the game and brighton didn't look like they would score and we did eventually score a last minute penalty yeah <laughs> but i learned i learned a lot that day about Hubris, yeah, about expectations, yeah, and about Brighton and Hove Albion yeah, that you have broadly ignored and ever since. I have broadly ignored them ever since. Yeah, actually, I can't think of anything that I would do yeah. differently. No, 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 not even not, not now. You no, no, I know, I know no, you well enough to was, know that. Honestly, if I ever, the, if I ever do want to go morning drinking, I always yeah. know who to call. Um, I well, just want to be yeah, absolutely yeah. clear that I don't think I've been. Morning drinking. Bank holidays don't count. I'm not counting bank holiday Monday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the last time I went morning drinking, I have no idea. Um, I generally I'd be try su- and very hold surprised off. if it was in the last 10 years. Yeah, week, weekday morning building. Week, weekday work day, you know what I mean? A work day. Oh, well, yeah, I mean... You, know, you wouldn't you understand very, that very concept, foolish. but I very much do. <laughs> We got a second question from House we Mouse did. Collectibles as yeah. well. And this is a, another question that was right up our stream. Mm. What football team did your favourite fictional characters support or what team do you imagine they may have supported? For example, Norman Stanley Fletcher was an Orient fan. Citizen Smith was a Fulham fan. Uh, and I imagine that D.I. Jack Regan was QPR and D.I. Frost was Derby. Well. Now. Um, I mean, immediately, immediately in the uh, Twitter conversation there, somebody pointed out that Tosh Lines used to sit in front of him at Pride Park. Yes. So Derby County is already a hub of TV detectives. Well, I mean, if this isn't a, if this isn't a, a detective drama, because I'm, I guess I obviously I have to do the professionals. Yes. And obviously, Bodie supports West Ham. Um, yeah. So, Doyle, Ray Doyle, uh, yeah. we did a little bit of research on and found out that he's from Derby. So, yeah. uh, he is. So, you've got Doyle and Lyons, the Derby supporting crime fighting duo. And D.I. Frost as well. Jack Frost sat there with bean juice in his moustache. Yeah, and, uh, and Jack. And, and so, you know. I'm sure there's a there's a there's a there's a, at least a sitcom in that. Well, I, I was taken with this question. I've been 
looking into um, or, or you know it from various angles, be it favourite TV characters of mine who are confirmed fans of things and a little bit of so shall we say speculation? Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, the characters in Bottom, which right. is recently was 30 years old, yeah. supported QPR. Yeah. I, I would also like to venture that Raster Mouse probably supports QPR. What makes you think that? I think there's a definite QPR energy off Raster Mouse. I don't know whether that's because of the famous, you know, link between West London and, and the West Indian immigrant community or, or what. Maybe, um, I don't know. I, 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 or I, maybe that he just likes their exotic yeah. kit because, you know, QPR is very much uh, one of the more outstanding kits and Rasta Mouse is... I, I, I hadn't ascribed a football team to Rasta Mouse. If you say Rasta Mouse to me, the first one, the first name that springs to my mind is Everton. I don't know why. Well, Everton came to mind when I was thinking about Juliet Bravo. I thought that uh, Jean Darblay was was probably Everton. Mm. And also, I thought Freddie Boswell was probably Everton. I think the rest of the Boswells were Liverpool. And Lilo Lil, of course, supported Manchester United. Right. (laughs) Further research is, um, you suggested that Snagglepuss supported Fulham. I'm not quite sure where you got the justification for that, but it does seem about Well, he wears a white shirt collar and a black bow tie uh, so he's yeah. the colours isn't it I suppose so yeah uh, but along those lines I reckon Bagpuss is probably Motherwell yeah possibly um, which would make which would possibly make Bagpuss rock hard and not to be meddled oh no everybody knows that about Bagpuss <laughs> yeah but he'll fuck you yeah. up Cagney and Lacey I reckon probably they're split between Arsenal and Tottenham uh okay how many favourite? How many of these have you got? Well, no. Because right, I, I will now pick I know what some of my like. favourite. I know what you're like about writing a list, and this could be I've a got a lot of, fucking yeah. midnight. Yeah, it's it is it's it's bad, yeah. but <laughs> I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick my some of my own actual favourite TV characters mm-hmm. now. Uh, Quincy, uh-huh. I thought would probably support Liverpool. Right. These are all Americans. If they're Americans, they don't support any. Oh, I they can't, support I can't, American I can't help it, teams. can I? I can't help it if all of my favourite TV heroes are Americans. Well, there you go. I managed to but pick Fulham I thought, for Snagglepuss, and it made perfect sense. Well, I think Quincy in Liverpool makes perfect sense because you've got the earnestness, right? Which is famous for the Liverpool, and also ample boat parking, mm-hmm. which is very important if you're Quincy. Um, and then the other one that I uh, I thought as one of my favourite TV programs as a child was Willow the Wisp. Mm-hmm. So Evil Edna, yeah, got to be Chelsea. Well, obviously, because they're always on television and are, are evil. <laughs> right there, you go. There we go. One last question. This is a little bit more um, serious mm-hmm. and not not so much uh, speculative. From Matt Evans, mm. who is one of our American listeners and therefore not hasn't mm. necessarily um, been inculcated in the sweet ambrosia yeah. of British football culture. Uh, I always wanted to ask you, what was it like 
going to the football before the Taylor Report. Is yeah. the experience at all similar to standing terraces at current day lower league grounds? No, it was worse. It was way worse. No, yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, the <laughs> it ter- was really the, bad. No, the terraces were crumbling. <laughs> the crush barriers weren't crush barriers. They were just something to lean on. Uh, there were fences. You were pending on all four sides. It, the grounds usually stank of piss because nobody could be bothered to actually go to a proper piss, toilet. fags, onions. It was, it was horrible. You know, it was, uh, and that's just the fact of it. Even going to most non-league grounds nowadays, the terraces and the safety is in a better condition than it was in the first division in the nineteen eighties. That's just a fact. Yeah, um, I would say because he did say about like you know the the lower league experience. I think that the nearest you can get to an old style football experience in this country nowadays is probably a Aldershot town in the National League. Um, okay. They have a terrace behind one goal which has got a, like a barrel roof. Is it full of squaddies as well? Um, I, yeah, they didn't have a terribly good reputation 20 years ago. I don't know how they are now. But um, <laughs> Well, if anything, yeah, we, but, if anything, we all you know, know. I mean, I, I've been in the away end because the away end is like a quarter of that. With a fence across it, and yeah. uh, I, I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy that. No, well, I mean, I first started going to football pre Hillsborough, mm-hmm. and I never went to a top flight match because I support Brighton Hove Albion, and yeah. uh, Brighton and Hove Albion being in the top flight is a new and exciting experience. But I do remember how horrible it was. I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah there's I mean, the magic. That, that, there's that, always that. the magic of seeing that, you know, that wonderful, pristine piece of grass and watching your team play. But at the end of the day, you were fenced in. Yeah, and that that big surge of when of support you yeah, get yeah. when there was a goal that was because there weren't enough crash barriers. You know, yep. you don't get that anymore because there are enough crash barriers. If you look at a goal in a League Two game nowadays, or you know, where there's still terraces. You don't get yeah. that sort of thing anymore. It doesn't happen. No, that the sort of the the whole crowd moving like a single organism. Yeah, I mean, I once saw it described in when Saturday comes. Somebody said, so I think it was an article about wolves, and it stuck in my head. The bloke said you can recreate the atmosphere of the um, of the South Bank at Molyneux by taking your family, arranging them all on the stairs. And then pushing them down and then pulling them all the way back up again for 90 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Well, and it was urinated. I, I mean, I only ever really went in that sort of... Because I'd always tried to stand at the edge or at the side. I never particularly wanted to be right in the middle of everything. I don't... You know, I get. I do sometimes get a bit claustrophobic. And um, I, 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 I don't like... You've got to bear in mind that it was not that uncommon to be squashed so tight that you couldn't move your arms. Well, no, I mean, nobody, I mean, maybe some people do, but they're kinky weirdos. Most yeah. people feel a bit uneasy when they know that they don't have any way out. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that anybody who went to matches regularly in the 1980s, especially in like the, you know, the first division, will be fully aware of that foreboding feeling that something was about to go wrong or something yeah. could go wrong. And it built 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 and you ended up at, the the what the, the two things that certainly Heysel and to a lesser extent uh, the Bradford fire 
for all that I was shocked and horrified by them, I don't think that even at 12 years old I was that surprised. No. It was very clear that something was going horribly wrong. And the whole of football was just cunts, you know? The people who ran the game were these horrible sort of old men, you know, with their 20 embassies and their slicked over uh, comb overs covering up their bald patches. Just Peter more, Swales. Yeah, Peter Swales. That that type. And, the, you know, then you had the hooligans who were just like, you know, dominated the news. And the players and the manager didn't seem that pleasant either, you know. Uh, and in terms of media, there was practically nothing. There was a couple of magazines, the daily newspaper. That was it. Uh, and so by kind of 1984, 85, I was still going to games. I was going to a lot of non-league games by that time. I was actually almost entirely going to non-league games by then. Very um, But it felt very isolating. It was something that I did on my own. You know, and and it remained that way until I was well into my twenties, until I was about twenty three or twenty four. I just used to go on my own, always, because you know, why would you go with somebody else if you were going to watch the football? And it was just this kind of you know, it's certainly when I got a bit older, when I got to about sixteen or seventeen, it became a very nice way of just having two hours on my own with my own thoughts, and I started to appreciate that more. Somewhere that you can go and wank without getting bothered. Well, I don't necessarily think that a football match is the best place for that. <laughs> depends. Yeah, well, yeah. It depends on the match. It depends on the circumstances. Yeah, very much so. Right, we done? Uh, well, we've got one small issue still to do, which is our match of the week, which is this week was a match that we attended rather than watched, although you can find highlights on YouTube. Worthing versus Corinthian Casuals. Yeah. The astonishing growth of Worthing Football Club continues. Um, Not necessarily by dint of beating Corinthian Casuals with a late penalty, which is what happened. Well, yeah. But... It's an extraordinary story of of growth, I think, the Worthing Football Club, and it's uh, it's hard to know exactly where it ends up. Um, well, I mean, they need to do a lot of work to their ground. Um, there's two sides of that that I don't think are going to survive any higher than the division above where they are now. Is one of them the one where it's just gardens behind a net? Yeah, there's a yeah along yeah. one side and behind one goal. There's there's some rudimentary cover. I mean, what you know, it's like a fucking Anderson shelter behind the goal. Yeah, at yeah, one end. yeah. Um, it needs a bit of work, and it needs updating. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already a plan in place for it because they seem to be very ambitious and they seem to be kind of moving the club along. They've already renovated the main stand. It looks like a fucking different building now. Well, um, and of course the the. 3G pitch, which yeah, is a and the, and the fine facility. Well. Yeah, and the pitch as well. Yeah. It's doing them a lot of good. There was over a thousand there. On, uh, on yeah, and on it Saturday. felt it felt like more. Felt like it was more. probably the yeah. busiest thing that I've done since the pre-pandemic times. Yeah, but it was very enjoyable. You know, it's, it's actually for me these days. That's the perfect match. Um, you know, I was on my own without the kids for the first time in like six years. Um, I was able to have a beer, catch up with some friends, 
Um, have a chat about nothing. Uh, keep yep. half an eye on the Premier League scores and all the other stuff. And then right at the end, there was some exciting drama and a goal. Well, you know? yeah, it got, it got a little bit tasty, a little bit of intrigue. And yeah. um, a, a late penalty that no VAR in the land could overturn. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was very, very Oh, enjoyable. yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I didn't see it when we were watching it live because it was over the other side of the penalty area to where we were standing. Um, I did, however, catch the YouTube highlights and holy shit, it's an obvious penalty. He just absolutely hat kicks. Yeah, it. it did look like one. It's a really, from... really badly timed tackle. It's a, it's a kind of, it's, it's, a, it's like the defender got stuck in two minds and didn't know whether to try for a tackle or try to kick the ball. And so he kind of went halfway between the two on the player, and it was a definite pet. There was no oh, question it yes. was a penalty. The old Henry Lansbury. System. Well, I mean, the thing is that I wouldn't say that I'm gullible, but I do like to think the best of people. So if play, if I don't quite see an incident, and players start surrounding the referee, to this day I'll assume, oh, that's probably a penalty then. <laughs> because why would they do it? Why would they do it otherwise? Yeah. Um, and actually, the answer is they're doing it to game the referee, and it's a kind of long-term thing which earns them the right decisions in the long term, and it's all weird and psychological. It is. But, it's um, a, they're playing a very long psychological. Yeah, they're game. playing the playing the numbers game. Uh, but in this case, it was definitely a penalty. So you heard it here first. Well, last more well, last possibly, nowadays. but yeah, it's well. Anyone who's ever in the area, it's well worth uh, a visit to Worthing FC. It's the um, club who are on the up. Yeah, not necessarily doing... in terms of the league, although they are going up in the league. But well, they would have. They won their first, however many games it was last season. I think they had hundred percent record, and the league was suspended. The year before that, they were like, I think they were three points clear, but had two games in hand, and then that league was suspended, and they weren't promoted that year. Yeah, uh, They've started this season a little bit slowly, actually. They were only in fifth place going into this game, but that wouldn't put them second. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're, hopefully they're starting to crank into gear a little bit, but I know they had a couple of bad results. Corinthian Casuals actually knocked them out of the FA Cup this year. After a replay. Oh, it was so, lousy, um, no goodness. Yeah, so, so you know, and Corinthians were the better team for most of the 90 minutes. Um, they certainly they, had, they had the most, the most of the chances. Yeah, yeah. They, had the, they certainly had the better chances. But they couldn't grind out the result. Attendance, 1,028, I think it was. Yeah, I always like to think that had I not been there, that attendance would only have been 1,027. Well, it would. I know it, it. It just makes your mind boggle, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you said that the crowd. You said that you thought it looked like more than a thousand. Um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there were quite a few guests there yesterday because um, the the club's PA guy died quite suddenly. Ah, um, uh, yes. During yes. the week, only about only about three or four days before, and I have a feeling that his son or a relative at least, is like either a photographer for them or for the Worthing Herald. So it's kind of quite closely knit, and it was actually quite a legit, sombre atmosphere at the start of the game, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were 
there were a few guests there or something like that. Um, they also had a minute silence at Worthing United. Well, uh, that's nice. To give you an idea of you know how highly thought of this, this particular guy was. I don't know Worthing particularly well, considering <laughs> that I live here for the football club at least. <laughs> um, I don't know the football club particularly well. And so, you know, but I'll, I'll take it on... Um, uh, I'll take it on uh, on hearsay that, that that you know he was he was a good man and will be sadly missed. So there you go. So there you go. Football, football solved once again. Again for, for the three hundred eleventh week in a row. Yep. Right. Well, that's it. We're done. Um, you can find me at twrht on Twitter. You can find him at 200% podcast because he runs the official feed yep I don't know one day I'm going to really regret that I don't know when exactly it's going to be but I know it's it's coming oh it's coming the good thing you know I'm a little bit more detached from it than I was now so you know that's good (laughs) you won't be after what I do oh Christ anyway we're done for another week we'll be back again same time next week Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. Walk and skunk, come and say walk and skunk, yes, sir. Walk and skunk, come and say walk and skunk, go out of the street, you walk and skunk.